Well, good morning, everyone. Weren't the dancers amazing worshiping God? Wasn't that great? In fact, this week we have a ballet company, Paradossi Ballet, is coming to worship. I think it's Tuesday night. I want to encourage you to come out. It's going to be an amazing night. You know, in fact, since that we've been talking about dancing um, and we've seen some dancers, I decided to use a little dance humor this morning. And so, uh, you know what to do if you want to make your tissue dance? You put a little boogie in it. Is that just a little boogie in it? Okay. Okay. Uh, Anyway. (laughs) Y'all awake this morning? (laughs) Well, I want to say it's good to be home. We're so glad that all of you that are joining us online or worshiping with us in Pennsylvania and New Mexico, wherever you are, we're so excited. Arizona. Glad that you've come out this morning. We're in the last week of a series called I Lead. Everybody say that with me. Say, I Lead. This um, title we really thought about because it really sums up what God is saying to our church right now. And he's saying to us as moms, dads, students, whatever we are in life, grandmas, grandpas, is that God is calling you and I to lead. Last weekend, I was gone. Didn't our um, interns do a great job last weekend running the service? And you got to hear a little bit about the School of Leadership. And I was able to still preach the word to you and yet be in Hawaii at the same time. Isn't that cool? Technology. I was actually watching the services last week when I was laying on the beach in Hawaii. You know, I was suffering for Jesus. Um, I said, Lord, you have to send someone. Here am I. Send me. It's, so I went. Actually, Devette and I had an opportunity to do a, a conference together. We taught on marriage to a church there and ministered to some pastors. And then we had a few um, days to spend um, by ourselves just having a good time. But it is good to be home. And it's good to realize that God has a call on us in the year 2015. And that call is to stand up and lead. I don't know about you, but I believe God wants us to walk into the new year and not just um, evaluate the new things and the promises, but that he wants us to possess some promises in 2015. How many believe that this year? In order for that to happen, remember what he said to Joshua? He said, my servant is dead, Moses. Arise and lead. And so God is wanting us to lead into the promises he has for us. We've been using Nehemiah over the last several weeks as an example or a a role study, a character study of leadership. God sent this man who worked as the cupbearer for the king to, from Persia. He brought him back to Jerusalem, and when he got to Jerusalem, he was in charge of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. I believe God is wanting to rebuild places that have broken down. What's exciting about this teaching over the last several weeks is just even understanding how God does things. Nehemiah, his name means Yahweh comforts. That's what it means in the Hebrew. So when Nehemiah came back and brought good leadership, what God was saying is that, listen, good leadership brings great comfort. And there's nothing more comforting to a family, to an organization, to a business, to a church, to a nation than good, healthy, godly leadership. How many say amen to that? So God is calling us to lead. I want you to stand to your feet, if you will, today. And we're going to read in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. I had us read this last week, 
And it's a beautiful scripture that talks about leadership and that God wants us to stand up and lead and take that leadership seriously. So will you read with me Romans chapter 12, verse 6, and let's all read it together out loud. Here we go. Those of you online as well, let's read together now. In his grace, God has given us different kinds. Oops, I messed up. Let's try it again. You got to forgive me. I've been in Hawaii. Things are a little bit weird. So getting back focused. Let's try it again. In his grace, God has given different... Some of us have the gift of reading. Some of us don't. All right. Let's try it one more time. Ready? In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. God is saying, stand up and lead. So I want us to pray. Bow your heads. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that you are the leader here at Higher Vision. God, you're the one who leads this ship, this church. We're just simple stewards to follow your leading. And I pray that your spirit would speak boldly and loudly in this place and in homes around the world. So we yield to you now. We open our hearts, we open our spiritual ears to receive your truth because your truth, when we know it, when we receive it, will liberate us and set us free. Say this with me. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. In Jesus' name. Don't you sense the presence of God in this room? Amen. You may be seated today. Amen. Over the last several weeks, we've learned what does it mean? What, how do we define leadership? Nehemiah has been a character study of that. And as we've seen him and how he operated, it's given us some insight into how you and I can stand up practically and lead. And here are all the points from the last three weeks. I'm not going to develop them. If you want to know more about what we've been preaching on or you missed a week, go to highervisionchurch.com and you can follow along and you can actually watch the sermons or listen to them there. In week one, we learned three things. If we're going to lead, the first thing is if I lead, I lead because I see, I lead because I care, and I lead because I pray. And then in week two, we learned if I lead, it's because I lead because I risk take some risks. I lead because I plan. You got to be ready for that audition, right? And I show. In other words, I cast the vision. I share where we're going, what we're going to do. And last week, we learned that I lead because I answer. I answer the call that God is calling all of us to lead. What is God's calling? We learned last week that there's callings to full-time ministry. But what we also discovered is that what calling is, is that it's recognizing that God has positioned us and given us gifts to fulfill his purpose through us. So wherever that is, the, the job that you have, you're not where you are by accident. You've been positioned there with gifts from God for a purpose. And God's wanting us to answer the call to use our position, just like Nehemiah. He was positioned as the cupbearer of the king. God wants us to recognize that we're where we are and we have gifts for a reason so that we can use them not only to expand the kingdom but to better the world that we live in. So what I want to do today is I'm going to fast forward the rest of the book of Nehemiah. We're going to get three chapters in in uh, one sermon, all right? So we're going to go fast today and I'm going to give you three or four principles to help you and I learn what it means to lead and we're going to wrap this series up. Y'all with me? Say amen. 
So what does it mean to lead? Well, we've learned over the last several weeks what it means, but I want you to write this down. Pull your notes out. If you have a, uh, a phone, you can go to version and type in live event, find Higher Vision Church, and all of this will be there. What does it mean to lead? Well, here's point number one. I lead because, you ready? I separate. I lead because I separate. Now, some of you say, Pastor Jared, where do you find that? Well, we're going to go to Nehemiah chapter 2, to the very last few verses in chapter 2, and look what it says. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 and 20 says this. Now, remember, Nehemiah has shown up now in Jerusalem. He's looked at the walls. They're broken down. He's cast the vision and said, guys, listen, we need to rebuild the walls. And at that point, this is where we pick up the story. Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 says, but when Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem the Arab heard of our plans... They scoffed contemptuously. Moving forward in verse 20, then here's what Nehemiah says. I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. How many want to claim that promise? Amen. The God of heaven will help us succeed. We, everybody say we. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall, but you have no share, legal right, or historic claim to Jerusalem. In other words, Nehemiah separates who's going to be the ones building the wall and who are the ones that are not a part of that. Here's kind of the idea. What does it mean? We're going to break it down. What does it mean to I separate? What does that really mean when it comes to leadership? Well, here's kind of the idea. Leaders, leadership knows not only who to invite, but who to not invite. In other words, leaders don't invite everybody to the party. Somebody say, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, let's break it down a little more. Because when you go back to this verse, when Nehemiah says, listen, we're going to build the wall, and you have no share or legal right or claim to Jerusalem. Let me, let me dive into the Hebrew a little bit. Because the word share in the Hebrew, here's what it means. It's kind of a rich and complex word. Um, at face value, the word means inheritance or portion. It also is the word, and it means smoothness. But then when you take the root word that this Hebrew word comes from, it means to separate or to divide. So when you look at the word, the definition really has two parts to it. What does it mean as a leader that I lead because I separate? Well, first of all, what leadership involves sometimes... It involves you and I having the mentality that says, sometimes I have to cut the cord. Reminds me of when I was younger, um, I had gotten this bike. I had this bike. It was a green bike with the big tire in the back. How many remember back in the days when you had those? How many remember the banana seat? Come on. Remember the banana seat? I had the green bike with the banana seat. It was awesome. And I had, you know, it wasn't like today where, you know, the brakes are on the handles. I had brakes on the, you know, actual the pedals, and so you'd like take off, and you'd, you'd hit down, and you'd turn. I thought I was cool. Well, my younger brother, Brian, um, that Christmas, I got a bike. He got a skateboard, and one of the things that we did, kids do, we're in, you know, we try to come up with new ideas, is that we went out one day with my bike and his skateboard, and we brought a rope. And so we tied the rope to the back of the banana seat, and then I would take off riding on my bike while he was standing on his skateboard. 
And so we'd start riding down the road, and as we rode down the road, you know, it was, let me just say it this way, it was not a smooth ride for either of us. Because as I'm trying to ride down the road, he's on his skateboard, like, you know, going all over, trying to, to go this way and that way and jump over jumps and go over the curb. And bottom line, a couple things happened. Number one, it was not very fun for me. Number two, he got hurt, right? And the reason was, is the ride wasn't smooth. Now, here's what's interesting. We were both going the same direction. The problem was, is he was on a different traveling vehicle than me. When he was on the banana seat, it was fine. We rode smoothly. We went wherever we wanted to go. I could still pop a wheelie. Come on, how many remember back in the day? You had the banana seat with the big handlebars. Come on, right? But as long as he was on the skateboard and I was pulling him, it didn't work very well. So we had to cut the cord. And sometimes in leadership, in order for us to move the direction we're called to move, we have to determine whether the person and the team that we have is on the bike or on the skateboard. Because sometimes people are wanting to go the same direction, but they're not really on the bike, they're on the skateboard, because they have a different plan, they have a different direction, they have a different path they want to follow. So leadership sometimes involves not only inviting people on the journey, it's making sure that the people who are not meant to be on the bike aren't a part of the journey. Y'all with me? How many know that sometimes one bad apple will spoil the whole bushel? So in leadership, sometimes what we have to understand is that when God is calling us to stand up and lead, it's about determining, God, who have you called to be on this team? Who have you called to be on this bike? Because here's the point. If people are on the bike and on the team, the ride will be smooth. What was the Hebrew word? Smoothness. It also meant to divide. So the point is, is when there is not a unified vision and everybody's on the same bike, it messes up the smoothness of the journey. And sometimes what God is saying is that for you and I as leaders, we have to stand up. And just like Nehemiah said, listen, Sanballat, Tobiah, I'm sure you're good people, but here's the point. We're called to build you're not. So we're going to have to separate. Some of you say, Pastor Jerry, that's a little strong. We see it in the New Testament. Remember John Mark with Paul the Apostle and Barnabas? And there came a point where there had to be a separation. So when we look at the word, I separate, what it means is sometimes as leaders, how many know, yeah, to make it simple, how many know sometimes as a coach, when you take over a team, you have to, to release some free agents? And sometimes you have to trade some team members. Why? Because you're putting together the team that has the right chemistry so that the ride will be smooth, so that we can follow the same vision. Somebody say amen. So you and I as leaders, when we stand up and lead, we have to understand that sometimes leadership means I separate. You know, another part of this Hebrew word is not only the, the idea of smoothness and separation, but it's, it's another idea because it, remember it says it means in the Hebrew, you have no share, it means inheritance or portion. What that reminds me of is the time when Abraham, remember God had called Abraham to go to a new land and he was going to give him a, a land, right? And he was going to raise up descendants. And so what happens is, is along with him comes Lot. 
And there got to be a point, obviously Lot was a decent leader and a, a good herdsman. Why? Because he had his own herds and they began to grow and multiply. And there came a point where Abraham realized, listen, Lot may be a good guy. He may not be a bad apple. He may not be a bad person. But the problem is, is that he's not been called to share in the inheritance that God has given me. So he came to Lot and he said, here's the deal, Lot, you're going to have to go one way and we're going to go the other because this inheritance is not for you. It's not big enough for both of us. I've been called to take the inheritance God has called me. My point being is that sometimes with leadership, separation isn't about a bad apple. It's not about a bad person. It's just about your inheritance. And sometimes God calls us to separate because he's calling us to an inheritance that doesn't belong to somebody else. How many say amen? And the point that I'm trying to make this morning is that you and I as leaders, I lead because I separate. Sometimes we have to come to a place where we cut the cord. Maybe for you, you're a business owner. And as you're hearing this message, what God's showing you is that there's an employee on your team that either needs to be repositioned or let go. You need to cut the cord because either there's a bad apple going on and it's pulling on the, the, the bike and it's not you know, riding like it's supposed to and the smoothness is being destroyed of the journey. Or maybe it's just that you've got to reposition them because they're not called. I mean, some people that can take you to where you are can't take you to where you're supposed to be. And so sometimes God requires us as leaders to make hard decisions and say, sometimes I lead because I separate. Maybe for you, it's you have to distance yourself from a family situation. Maybe for you, it's you need to pray somebody out of your child's life. Maybe for you, it's getting a different job. Maybe for you, it's moving schools. The point is, sometimes the key to stepping into the inheritance that God has for us is there has to be some separation in order for us to take a hold of what God has called us to have. You all with me? Say amen. So I lead because I separate. Isn't that cool that right in the middle of Nehemiah, this is what God's trying to tell us? Here's point number two. I lead because I separate, and point number two is, I lead because I empower. I lead because I empower. Will you say that with me? First of all, say this. Say, I separate. separate. Now say this. Say, I empower. empower. Nehemiah chapter 2, we're going to end with chapter 2 at the end, and we're going to jump into Nehemiah chapter 3. I want to read it to you. It says, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed, we his servants... Everybody say we. We, his servants, will start rebuilding this wall. Then chapter 3, it says, Then Eliashib, the high priest, and the other priests started to rebuild at the sheep gate. Now, a little piece of information there is the sheep gate was the place where they brought the sheep in Jerusalem for sacrifices to be made in the temple to God. So the priests who lived near the sheep gate, they began to build that portion of the gate. Because they were reestablishing the worship in the temple. They were reestablishing the wall to protect it. So it says that the high priest and the other priests started to rebuild the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set up its doors, building the wall as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated in the tower and the Tower of Hananel. Verse 2, people from the town of Jericho worked next to them. So they took the next part of the gate. 
And it goes on to explain who they are, but I'm not going to dive into that right now. And then it says in verse 3, the fish gate... And that was where they would bring all of the fish that were caught in the region. They would come, and they would come through that area, and it would be sold to the community in Jerusalem. The, the fish gate was built by the sons of Hassaniah. And then we go down to verse 5, and it says, Next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. I want you to underline that part. We'll go back to it. The point I want to simply make is this, is that here's what Nehemiah said. First of all, in order for us to move forward, we've got to have some separation. We need to cut the cord for some things because God's called us to grab a hold of an inheritance that he has for us. And then the second thing is he said, so I separate, but the second thing is I empower. In other words, you are the, the, the priest, so you're right by the wall right here at the sheep gate, so you build that part. And you over here, you're by the fish gate, and you like to fish, and this is where you live, so you go ahead and do that part of the gate. And if you read through the story in chapter 3, every single part of the wall was built by the people who lived by that part of the wall. And there's somebody saying, well, Pastor Jerry, what does that mean with I am power? Basically, here's what Nehemiah was saying. Listen, you're here by this wall for a reason, and you have a calling and a gifting, kind of like we talked last week. So now I'm releasing, I am empowering you, stand up, go for it, and rebuild the wall. In other words, everybody has a place on the wall. And I'm releasing and empowering. That's what the word empower means. To, it means to authorize, to inspire, to give power to, to sanction, to permit. And so in the city, everyone was empowered with the authority to move forward and rebuild and to bring their gift to the table. So at every little section of the wall, you had men that worked maybe in construction or maybe were goldsmiths or whatever they did. And they, so they brought their gift and they went to the wall. And then you had people in that little section of the, the wall that they were good at administration. So they were counting the nails and they were counting the beams and they're making sure there was enough supplies. And then you had people who were really good at helps. And so what did they do? They were serving coffee to the people who were building the wall from Starbucks. And then you, you went through the, the whole thing and everybody was empowered or released to use their gift to build. The message being to you and I, let me just stop for a second before we get into it too deep, and that is that, you know, there's a, a beautiful story about Michelangelo, and I've shared this probably twice here at Higher Vision Church with our church family over the last 10 years. But if you haven't heard it, Michelangelo was the great sculptor. He sculpted the David statue, right? Amazing. One day, Michelangelo took a friend of his to the rock quarry. So there was all of these stones, and in the middle of the quarry were three big, huge boulders. Michelangelo looked at his friend, and he said, what do you see? It was probably sounded more like this, what do you see? Sorry. And he looked back and said, shut up, or you face. Uh, sorry. Some, some of you remember that, right, song? Okay, sorry. Flashing back. And he's like, what do you see? He says, what do you see? And he says, I see three boulders. And he looks back at Michelangelo and says, what do you see? And Michelangelo says, I see three angels in prison waiting to be set free. And when I think about Nehemiah, here's what I realize is that Nehemiah, when he looked across the city, he saw lots of angels. 
Because leadership isn't just standing up and say, I'm separate now. I, I, I make sure that the right chemistry is in place with the right people and the right you know, position in the team so that we can grab a hold of God's inheritance for us. But also, I begin to look at the people that are now in my sphere of influence, and I see angels. In fact, we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, when Paul is speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. And look what he says. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Here's what he's saying. I see the angel. So leadership isn't just about separation at times. It's about seeing the angel, the potential, the best in others. And not only seeing that potential, but then saying, I want to see you released and empowered to rise up and build the wall in your city, in your area, in your sphere of influence. That's why we have higher leading. It's happening right after this service and the next service. Why? Because we see potential in you. And we want to empower and release you to be what God has called you to be. You know one thing I love about my my dad specifically, and and my in-laws do this as well, but at holidays... Oftentimes, my father will gather the grandkids up. We'll be eating dinner or something, and he'll start going down the, the, the list. And he'll say, Spencer, Macy, Brianne. And he'll begin to call their name out, and he'll begin to say, you know what? When I look at you, I see someone. He talks about the gifts and the talents and the calling and the purpose on their life, and he begins to speak it over them. And I want to tell you that you and I are called, if we're called to lead, we have to stand up. And standing up, taking our leadership serious, is looking for the angels. Sometimes all we see are the devils. Come on, you with me? You see that child of yours, right? And you're like, are there horns in there? Because I, I, we see the things sometimes that they do, not who God has called them to be. And I want to challenge you that you and I are called as leaders to stand up and separate, sometimes to to build the right team, to make the decisions that need to be made, but also we need to arise and begin to see the potential. Just like Paul saw in Timothy, I see something inside of you. It was in your mom, it was in your grandma, it's in you, and I want to tell you something. God's given you, as a pastor, I look at you, and every week as as you're sitting in this room or you're online, sitting in your home in Sacramento or San Francisco or San Diego or New Mexico, Here's what you need to know. God sees you, and there is potential inside of you, and there is a place at the table here at Higher Vision. There's a place at the table in your community. There's a place at the table in your family. There's a place at the table at your job. God wants you to stand up and rebuild the walls that have been broken down. You have to say, I leave. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I want to make one more observation that we see in this passage. It's pretty powerful. I empower. I want to read the last part of the verse because it goes through, and if you read through the the chapter, it lists the name of every family person that built the wall, except in verse 5. It says, next were the people from Tekoa, though their leaders refused to work with the construction supervisors. Begin to kind of meditate on that. I'm like, God, why is it that this whole chapter is listed with names, but that one verse leaves it out? I'll tell you something. When we step up and we lead, it's God's way of using us to leave a mark. To create a legacy, if you look in the scripture, God is a God of lists. 
And he loves to list out. Think about the, the faith chapter in Hebrews. He loves to list the people that stood up and had faith. He loves to, to make lists of people. If you read through the genealogy, you can see that God loves a list. Why? Because a list is a record of the legacy that God has worked through people. But I want to tell you, the people who didn't stand up and lead, what did we just read? It says they didn't work with the, the construction supervisors. So the ones who wouldn't lead never left a mark. Oh, that we would not leave this world and have no footprints and leave no marks because we weren't committed to stand up and lead. I lead because I separate. I lead because I empower. Y'all with me? Say amen. Here's number three. You ready? I lead. Isn't it cool? What's in Nehemiah? It's all this practical stuff for leadership. Here's another one. I lead because I fight. I lead because I fight. You're like, fighting is, is a characteristic of leadership? My kids are going to be great leaders. <laughs> I'm driving down the road, and they're in the back seat, and now I'm going to remember they're leaders back there. That's what they're doing. <laughs> All right, sorry. Just... Where do you get that? Well, let's look. Nehemiah chapter 4. Look at that. We've gone through two chapters or chapter and a half already. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6. At last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city. For the people had worked with enthusiasm. But when Sanballat, or Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites, and Ashodites heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Verse 10. Then the people, when they heard about this, these threats, this talking of the enemy, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved and we'll never be able to build the wall ourselves. Isn't that interesting? They'd already rebuilt half of it. But as soon as the enemy came and started to complain, began to bring distraction, they began to say, we'll never do it. Verse 11, meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we'll swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who had lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. And if you kind of fast forward to verse 16, and from then on, here's what Nehemiah did. From then on, only half of my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. Verse 17. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting the load and one hand holding a weapon. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we're widely separated because they're around the wall, right? With, other, with, with each other along the wall. So when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it's sounding. Then our God will fight with us. Isn't it interesting how when they gather in unity, remember I talked about last week people, or a couple weeks ago, that where there, are, where there is no vision, the people perish. And that the key to release of God's favor and fighting with us is when we gather in unity as people. It says rush to the wall. Now when I read this part of the story, it makes me realize that sometimes as leaders, not only do we have to empower, but I lead because I fight. Sometimes we have to fight for what God has called us to. I mean, sometimes you have to fight for your kids. 
I mean, sometimes you have to fight for your financial situation. I lead because I fight. And as I began to read through this, there were three things about fighting that jumped out, okay? And I know I give you lots of points and subpoints, but I want to just throw this out to you about what it means because I'm breaking down and making practical what it means to fight. Because some of us are like, well, I'm a fighter, not a lover. So I'll be a leader, but what does it mean? What does it really mean to fight? Well, here's the first thing. What does it mean to fight? Leaders fight. How? By not stopping. I want to read to you in chapter 6 another example of when they came against the Israelites. It says, so in verse six, or chapter 6, verse 2, it says, So Sambalat and, and Geshem sent a message asking me, talking about Nehemiah, asking me to meet at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized they were plotting to harm me. So I replied, sending them this message. I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet with you? The next verse says they do it four different times. And then verse 9, he says this. They were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater determination. Can I tell you one of the greatest ways you can fight is to just keep going. Don't be distracted. Don't be pulled aside. Some of you, you're struggling and you're trying to be an example and win your friends or maybe a family member or someone who's looking at you and always accusing you of not really being a Christian or you're not really changed or this isn't real. Well, rather than maybe standing on a soapbox and always debating them and trying to bring the best verse, maybe what you need to do is just keep on living for Jesus. Maybe what you need to do is just keep on fighting, keep on doing the right things. Be not weary in doing good, for in due season you'll reap if you don't faint. Come on, somebody say amen. I fight. Fighting is about just keep on going and not stopping. You know, there's always going to be a critic. There's always, you know, you realize that they never built a monument for a critic. They only build it for the one they're criticizing. Because they're moving, they're acting, they're doing something. I tell you, there will always be someone who will come along and try to discourage you. In fact, Sanballat and Tobiah, they were mocking the, the Israelites, mocking Nehemiah. And here's the kind of things they were saying. You can read it in there if you want to. It said, what is this wall they're building? It's so weak that if a, a gnat lands on it, it'll crumble. How many know there's always a Debbie Downer? Kind of flashing back to Saturday Night Live. There's always going to be someone, and you're like, you know what? God's called me. I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to coach and be a leader. What are you talking about? You've never kicked a soccer ball. Wah, wah. Well, I'm not the greatest coach, but, you know, I'll get online. I'll watch YouTube, and i got to motivate the kids because they're the ones playing anyway. Yeah, but, you know, you'll be a terrible coach. Wah, wah. There will always be someone who will criticize. There will always be someone who will point out things that look impossible. But here's what a fighter does. Here's what someone that says, I lead. I lead because I fight. They just keep going. They don't quit. They keep going. They keep moving. They keep not being weary and doing good because I lead because I fight. You all with me? Nehemiah said, I'm not going to stop and I'm not going to let you distract me. Because if I stop, that's what you're trying to do. You've won. So I'm going to fight by just keep on doing what I'm called to do. You know, what's interesting is I had someone share this with me from the church, this statement. I love it. Write it down. 
what you tolerate will dominate. What you tolerate will dominate. Let me ask you, what are you tolerating in your life that what God's calling you to do is dismiss it and just keep on going? Sometimes God says it's time to quit tolerating the critic and just keep on moving. Just keep on doing what I've called you to do because leaders fight by not stopping. You know their observation? Is leaders fight, write this down, this is cool, leaders fight by preparing for battle. Leaders fight by preparing for battle. You know what's interesting is Nehemiah said, here's what we're going to do. If they, if they come and they attack us, here's the deal. Everybody gets a sword. Everybody gets a sword. You know what's interesting about this story? The enemy never attacks. And I'm going to tell you why I think the enemy never attacked. Because they prepared for battle. What does the scripture say? That, we're, that the enemy is like a roaring lion, that we're to be aware of his devices. What does the scripture say? Put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I mean, there's a lot of times that we can prevent the enemy from having any access. We can prevent the enemy from ever even engaging us on the battlefield. Why? Because we've made a plan and we've prepared ourselves for battle. So when it comes to your children and you're raising them, maybe for you preparing for battle is making sure you get them to church every week where they're hearing messages about Jesus and they're in an atmosphere of worship where they can have God's presence speak to them and where they can come to youth group on Tuesday night. What are you doing? You're preparing for battle. And sometimes the enemy can't even come and engage you because fighting is not just not stopping. It's being aware of his devices and his plans. It's preparing for battle. And sometimes it's in the preparation that the war is already won. Y'all still with me? Say amen. Amen. Too many times we've left our companies, we've left our teams, we've left our children exposed. Had Nehemiah never done anything, had Nehemiah never prepared, we probably wouldn't be reading about him today. I lead because I separate. I lead because I empower. I lead because I fight. Can I give you one more thought about the, this whole fighting thing? Is that okay? All right, you ready? Here's the other thing about I fight. What does it mean to I fight? Well, here's what leaders understand. Leaders understand that leadership doesn't fight fair. So you're like, what? That doesn't sound right, Pastor Jared. Leaders don't fight fair. You mean leaders don't fight fair? What did, what did Nehemiah say? He said, you know, we're going to build this wall. When they blow the horn, run, because God will fight for us. The point is, is when you're following God's will, when you're following God's purpose as a leader, that means God is on your side, and if God is for you, who can be against you? The point is, it's not a fair fight. So when I'm following God, when I'm standing up and I'm leading and I'm doing what God has called me to do, it's not a fair fight. The enemy is going to lose. If you're on the side of another vision besides God's vision of leadership for your life, then guess what? Whoever's on the other side of that vision is going to lose because God is on your side. Come on, somebody say amen. You see, what God originates, he orchestrates. And I'm going to tell you what God knows how to do. God knows how to play battleship. You can try to move your little ships around. You can look over to this side and be moving it with this hand over here. But God will always be one step ahead. 
because he sees it all. The question is, is are you in the middle of his will? Because I'm going to tell you what his will is. Lead. Prepare for battle. Keep fighting. Keep serving. Keep using your gifts. You know, we have an opportunity. Easter is coming. We're going to have an amazing week, Passion Week at Higher Vision Church. Eight services. We're going to need people to stand up and build the wall. We're building a wall here. I don't know if you know it. At Higher Vision, we're building a wall. Jerusalem was the place of God's manifest presence. It was a place of God's grace. It was a place where worship took place. It was a place of protection. It was a place of God's blessing on his people. We're building a place where people are being healed, delivered, saved, where people are being restored, where people are being protected. God's doing all of that. And why? Because we're building a wall. But there's a part of the wall that needs you. And leaders say, I lead because I separate, I lead because I empower, I lead because I fight. And here's the last point. You all with me? I lead because I stand. I lead because I stand. I want the worship team to come. Nehemiah chapter 5, verse 7. I want to read to you. This is an amazing part of the story. What had happened was the children of Israel were so busy now working on the wall that a lot of the poorer people, not the nobles that had more things and more possessions and more wealth, but the ones who didn't have as much, they were all in. And they were working day and night on the wall trying to finish it. But what happened is because of that, they were having to neglect their fields. And so they were going to their fellow countrymen, Jews and Israelites, and saying, hey, can you lend us some money until we get done? And so they were lending them money, but they were charging them exorbitant amounts of interest. And they eventually were, as they kept coming back for more, putting themselves and saying, hey, now you're going to be my slave. I'm going to take your property. That had already happened with all the Persians and others that had moved into the area. And when... This unrighteous situation begins to happen, and Nehemiah discovers it. He has a decision to make. Am I going to make a stand? Am I going to deal with this issue? Am I going to confront the problem? Or am I just going to play politics and try to make everybody happy? Or am I going to stand? Make a stand. Am I going to draw a line in the sand? This is where we pick up on the story. So I spoke against the nobles and officials. And I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. Verse 8. That's what he said. He said, and we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have been, you know, who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners. But you're now selling them back into slavery again. How often are we going to have to redeem them? Now look what it says. And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then... They replied, we will give back everything and demand nothing more from the people. We will do as you say. Then I called to the priests and made the nobles and the officials swear to do what they had promised. I love how he just right then said, come on in, everybody, we're going to make an oath. And I shook, verse 13, I shook the folds of my robe and said, if you fail to keep your promise, may God shake you like this from your homes and from your properties. And the whole whole assembly responded, amen, and they praised the Lord, and the people did as they promised. Sometimes when it comes to leadership, we're called to make a stand. 
Sometimes we have to stand up and say, this is right and this isn't right. And so therefore, we're moving this direction. Here's the line. And you need to either stand on this side of the line or stand on the other because we're moving forward. And sometimes what happens, it's in the drawing of the line that we raise the standard. Let me tell you, lead from the high ground. You know what I love about Nehemiah is he wasn't doing what everybody else was doing. He could have taken so much more as the magistrate over that city. He could have, he could have taken more taxes from them. He could have done more. But he didn't do that. Why? Because he said it's not right. And so because he said it's not right, he led from a place called the high ground. And sometimes you and I have to lead from the high ground. We have to raise the standard. We have to raise the bar. Now, I'm not talking about being religious, and I'm not talking about being legalistic, and I'm not talking about pointing your finger at somebody else and telling them, you're wrong and I'm right. I'm not talking about that spirit. Because first of all, in the scripture, whenever there is an issue, the Bible says everything we do, we do with the spirit of love. In fact, you even speak the truth in love. But I'm going to tell you, there are people in this room, people that are watching online, and in your home, and in your business, and in situations that you're involved in, there are things that are happening in your heart, you know they're not right. And so what God is calling you to do is maybe he's calling you to say, I stand. Maybe you need to, in the right way, go to the person, not talk to everybody else about it, because that's not standing from the high ground. Gossiping about your boss to everybody else isn't the high ground. But saying, I'm going to do it God's way. I'm going to go to my boss, and I'm going to share the concern that I have, and I'm going to do it in love, and I'm going to share my heart, and I'm going to do it, and I'm going to have the ability to do it, because we talked about it a few weeks ago. Remember about relationships and a relational equity and understanding God's time? Because they've seen that I'm a good worker, and they've seen that I'm on time, and they've seen that I don't leave early, and they've seen that I treat other people with respect. So I've been leading from the high ground, just like Nehemiah. So when I lead from the high ground, then I'm going to make a stand. And sometimes when you make a stand, it might cost you something. Remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They said, I'm not going to bow to this idol. And it may even cost me my life. I believe my God's going to deliver me, but I'm going to make a stand. I'm not going to bow. I'm going to make a stand. Maybe for you, you're in a situation right now where you know you need to make a stand, but you need the wisdom of God to help you how to do it because there's no relational equity in the situation you're in. So instead of marching in, facing the king and pointing your finger and saying, I'm not going to bow to your idol. Maybe what you need to do is start making deposits again into that relationship. Maybe you need to start showing up to work on time. Come on, somebody say amen. Maybe you need to start being the person of integrity so that you can lead from the high ground. I lead because I separate. I lead because I empower. I lead because I fight. I lead because I stand. Somebody say amen.